We take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. In keeping with our, I guess it's now an annual practice, we're going to take this final Sunday of the year uh, to consider the value of building our lives on God's Word. And today we'll do that by taking just a short look at Psalm 1. Uh, Before we read the text, let me say that uh, Psalm 1 is an incredibly rich passage. It is often called the Psalm of Psalms because it essentially introduces the themes that will shape the entire Psalter. And along with that, Psalm 1 also has echoes of the Proverbs so that it is called the Psalm of Wisdom. And along with that, Psalm 1 also finds its greatest fulfillment in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is ultimately the blessed man who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat with scoffers. So, you can see why I say this is an incredibly rich passage. There are a number of emphases that you could focus on. It introduces the entire book. It summarizes biblical wisdom. It points ahead to Jesus Christ. We could spend four or five weeks in Psalm 1 and we would be well rewarded. But for this morning, we're going to zero in on just just one theme. The life-changing power of delighting in and meditating on the Word of the Lord. Just that one theme. Psalm 1 paints a picture for us of life as God intended it to be. And as we stand on the cusp of a new year, my hope is that this picture will compel us, compel us, appeal to us, to make God's Word central to our lives in the year ahead. So with that in mind, let's read now from the Scriptures, Psalm 1. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray together and ask God to bless the reading and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we ask for Your help now. We need the Holy Spirit's illumination to understand the things of God. We need the Holy Spirit's work to believe and apply and follow the Word of God. God, many of us have come today with burdens and concerns and worries. Many of us have come with hearts that are full of joy and life and gladness. Whatever the situation, God, would You work among us today? Your Word is living and active. It can be applied by Your Spirit to whatever life presents to us this morning. Would You do that, God? Would You work among us by Your Word? Would you please give me grace to speak the things that are faithful and true to the Scriptures? And we ask, God, we ask 
that you would remember your promise that your word does not return to you void and that you would, you would work even now in our hearts. Give us grace, Father. Give me grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can think of Psalm 1 as the story of two men representing two different ways to live. The two men could not be more different, and their ways of life lead to very different ends. The first man, who is the main figure of the psalm, is blessed. You see it there in verse 1. Blessed is the man. It's the opening declaration of the story, so to speak. And it tells us that this man is living the good life. You could even translate verse 1 as, how good this man has it. In fact, that's what stands out about this first man. His life is prosperous. There is an Eden-like quality to the way he lives, just as God intended for things to be. He's like one of the well-watered trees of the garden. When the storms of hardship blow in, this man is not upended. He stands firm. When those around him spend time with this man, they go away thinking how good it was and refreshing to be with my friend. And even as the years wear on, this man endures. No wonder then that the psalm begins by declaring, blessed is the man. He's living the good life. The second man, however, is far from blessed. He shows up briefly in verses 4 and 5. And if the first man lived in a garden, this second man wanders in the desert. He's like one of those tumbleweeds you see in the old western movies. He just blows wherever the winds of life take him. He's not rooted. He's not fruitful. He's not anything, really. He's like the chaff that the wind drives away from the wheat harvest. He's good for nothing. And he benefits no one. It's no surprise then that the psalm calls this man wicked. He lives only for himself so that his life is shriveled and small. It's a dead end. And therefore, the wicked man experiences not the blessing of God, but the curse of God. He is a picture of the doomed life. When the day of judgment comes, verse 5, the wicked man will not stand. He will be judged. So the psalm tells us the story of two men living two very different lives. A blessed man living the good life and a cursed man living the doomed life. What then distinguishes the two men? I'm sure we would all agree that the blessed man is more appealing than the wicked man. Nobody reads Psalm 1 and says, I think I'll go with the wicked man. So what's the difference between the two? Where did their paths diverge? And how can we make sure that we follow the blessed man's way of life? Well, if you look at the psalm as a whole, you'll notice there are two differences between the two men. One is a matter of grace, and one is a matter of faith. Verse 6 tells the matter of grace. Look there again with me. Verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Friends, that is Psalm 1's version of Ephesians 2.8. By grace, you have been saved. That word know is a relational, even a covenantal term. In His grace, God has set the first man on the road of the good life. This is important, friends. The blessed man did not bless himself. He was blessed by God. He's like a strong tree, but trees don't plant themselves, do they? 
No, they're planted by someone else. And in Psalm 1, that someone else is the God of all grace. God has plucked the first man from the road of destruction and He has planted him in the way of salvation. He's planted him in the good life. What about the second man, you ask? Well, he has been left to himself. The Lord has mercy on whom He has mercy. And God in His wisdom has left the second man to Himself. And therefore, this second man's life is, hit, is headed to where all of our lives would go, towards destruction. So this is the first difference between the two, and it is a matter of grace. The second difference is a matter of faith. And it's here that we're going to focus our time. Verse 2 tells you this matter of faith. So look there again with me. Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law He meditates day and night. To put it simply, friends, the blessed man trusts in God's Word. He's not conformed to the world, as verse 1 so vividly describes it. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He's not following the world's thinking. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He's not acting in step with the world. And he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. He's not giving his, the world his allegiance. No, the blessed man trusts in the word of the Lord. Verse 2 mentions the law of the Lord, but you have to remember that in the Psalms, law means more than the books of Moses. The law of the Lord is the sum of God's instruction for His people. The law of the Lord is the totality of God's wisdom for life and godliness. And that's where the blessed man puts his trust, in the Word and wisdom of God. He delights in God's Word, which means he relishes it. He treasures it. He esteems it as valuable. And therefore, he meditates on it day and night. Now, that doesn't mean he's literally thinking about Scripture every waking moment. That would be unrealistic, and the Bible is never unrealistic. Instead, verse 2 describes an active remembrance of and submission to all that God has said. What does it mean to meditate day and night? It means I actively remember and I actively submit to God's Word. In every situation, the blessed man asks himself, what does the Word of God say here? Where does his wisdom lead and how should I follow it? So it means to meditate day and night. It means you constantly bring God's Word to remembrance and then you submit to it in faith. And that's the key point that I want to draw out this morning. The blessed man trusts in God's Word. He believes God's Word is right and good. And his life is anchored in that Word. That's why he's on the road to the good life. Because God's Word leads to blessing. But again, the wicked man could not be more different. Notice there is no mention of the law of the Lord in connection with the wicked man. It doesn't, the psalm doesn't even say that the wicked man ignores God's law. It just doesn't say anything. God's Word is absent from the wicked man's description. And that's the point. The man has no connection with the Word of the Lord. He does not live by faith in God's wisdom. He lives by faith in himself. His wisdom, His counsel, His ways. That's why the wicked man is at home in the world. Because that's where he walks and sits and stands, to use verse 1's language. The wicked man trusts in himself, and therefore he is bound for destruction. The two men differ then 
in this matter of faith, where they put their hope. This matter of faith. And it's this matter of faith that demands our attention. If we want to live the good life as God intended, then we must devote ourselves to the Word of the Lord. We must be like this blessed man who delights in God's Word and meditates on it day and night. Over the years, a consistent feature I've noticed in the most happy, content, and fruitful Christians is this. They are the ones who have the deepest connection to the Word of God. Show me a joyful Christian, and I'll show you one who knows his Bible. Show me a contented Christian, and I'll show you one who knows her Bible. I don't mean that they simply know more about the Bible than anyone else. I mean they treasure the Scriptures the way that a husband treasures his wife. The Scriptures occupy their attention and hold their allegiance. I'm sure you've known people like that too. These are the kinds of people who are living illustrations of Psalm 1. They are the blessed men and women who delight in God's Word. And their lives, along with this psalm, stand as an example, calling us, compelling us, appealing to us to walk where they walk. And so that's what I want us to do. We've seen the foundational contrast that drives the story of Psalm 1, but now I want to zero in on the effect of God's Word the effect of God's Word in the life of this blessed man. Basically, I just want to camp out in verse 3 for the rest of the time. I want to camp out in verse 3 and see how God's Word changes everything. And then I hope that this will compel us to pursue the Word of God in the same way. I'm trying to appeal to you in an affective sense. I want you to think, man, the Bible looks good. I don't think it does any good at all to just tell people, you should read your Bible more. That's like telling me I should eat more vegetables. Okay, but I don't think vegetables look very good. They don't sound very appetizing. So I don't think it does any good to just say, hey, read your Bible more. Instead, I want to show you from the Scriptures that it is appealing, it's appetizing, it's good for you. It's the good life. That's what I want to try to do. So, to that end... Notice with me just briefly four effects, or we could say four blessings of God's Word in the life of God's people. Number one, Scripture gives us the blessing of knowing God. The blessing of knowing God. This might be easy to overlook in Psalm 1, but this is where you have to start if you want to get the passage right. Above all else, the greatest blessing of delighting in God's Word is that we come to know God in a deeper way. Ultimately, this is why the man of Psalm 1 is blessed. Because he knows God. And he is known by God. There is a subtle kind of familiarity that can sneak into the Christian life and rob us of the wonder that is the Bible. Because many of us have been around the Bible for some years now, we find it easy to give the doctrinal confession, all Scripture is God-breathed, while at the same time losing the worshipful exclamation, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, then you should taste and see that God is good. Where do you taste and see? In the Word of God. So I don't want this morning to pass without reminding you of the wonder that is the Bible. The Word of God is not primarily a source of information or facts. The Word of God is not primarily an instruction manual for how to live. 
The Word of God is primarily God's self-revelation. Through the Bible, the living God gives us Himself so that every act of reading Scripture in faith is a moment of grace. Remember, friends, when you read the Scriptures, you hear the voice of God. The same voice that spoke creation into being. When you read the Scriptures, you see the character of God. The same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you read the Scriptures in faith, you are communing with the God of the universe. The God who dwells in unapproachable light. And when you do this over the long haul, year after year, something remarkable happens. You become like the one you behold. You become like the God that you see in the pages of the Bible. God, by His Spirit and through His Word, shapes your life to look like Him. Friends, is there any blessing greater than that? No, there's not. How could there be? To know God through His Word is to know life. The greatest blessing of delighting in God's Word is that we come to know God in a deeper way. I remember when I first started reading the Bible for myself, I was in college. I had grown up in the church my whole life, but I had never really read the Scriptures on my own in faith in order to know God. So, it's a miracle. In His grace, the Lord prompted me to want to pick up, his, pick up the Bible and read it. And so I started to read it. And guess what happened? I was utterly overwhelmed I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what was going on half the time. And that was before I made it out of the book of Exodus. I, just, I was utterly overwhelmed. But then a wise Christian gave me some help. He said, in every passage, just identify one characteristic of God and write it down. So I started doing that. I still didn't know the context. I had no idea of the background. But I did see God who He is, what He's like, and what He loves. I started simply writing God is statements in my notebook. From every passage I would write, God is faithful, or God is jealous, or God is holy, or God is merciful. Again, I didn't understand the grand scope of Scripture's narrative storyline. I was just seeing God. And that was enough. I didn't always know what those characteristics meant exactly, but that was okay because I was seeing the character of God and that alone was a blessing without measure. Do you want a great blessing, brothers and sisters? Then take up God's Word this next year and read it in order to know God. Before you ask what it says about you, ask what it says about God. The knowledge of God is so wonderfully powerful that He will not leave you as you are. Even the knowledge of who He is will change you so that your life begins to look more and more like Him. And what a remarkable blessing that is. So that's the first blessed effect of God's Word. It blesses us with the knowledge of God. The second effect is the blessing of rootedness. I don't know if I made that word up or not, but the blessing of rootedness. Notice the imagery the psalmist uses in verse 3 to describe the blessed man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. I love that word planted. It's also used in Psalm 92 
to describe a righteous person who trusts in the Lord. And just like in Psalm 1, Psalm 92 envisions trees. Listen to how it reads in Psalm 92. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. So did you hear the important connection? It's the connection of being planted and then growing strong. When we know God's Word, we are firmly planted so that we flourish like the palm tree, which are notoriously tough. We stand tall like the majestic cedar. That's the idea here in Psalm 1. The man who delights in God's Word is firmly planted. He lives with a sense of rootedness. When the winds of trouble blow hard against him, he does not topple over. Why not? Because his roots go down deep into the Word of God. We need to be clear at this point, friends. This rootedness, this ability to stand firm is entirely a function of the Word of the Lord. The blessed man is not holding himself in place. No, it's God's Word that holds him steady in the storm. Far too often, we tend to assume that strength equals self-sufficiency. A strong Christian is self-reliant and independent, we assume. But friends, that's the wrong picture of maturity. That's the wrong idea of strength. Jesus Christ was the strongest man who ever lived. And where did He turn in the face of temptation? He turned to God's Word, even quoting it back to the devil in the wilderness. Where did Jesus look during His darkest hour on the cross? He looked to God's Word, even quoting Psalm 22, as He suffered under the wrath of God. Friends, if that was true for the Lord Jesus, how much more so is it true for us, His people? Jesus was the strongest man who ever lived, and His strength came from the Word of God. It's the Word that holds us fast. It's the Word that gives us strength and roots our faith in the character of God. We may grow in our faith, but we will never outgrow our need for God's Word. In fact, you can make the case that an evidence of Christian strength is an increasing dependence on the Bible. Not a decreasing dependence, but an increasing dependence. Isn't this how the kingdom of God works? The last are first, the servant is the greatest, and the strongest one is the one who knows most keenly his own weakness. So he clings to the Bible. And yet we must remember that this blessing of rootedness is not immediately experienced. Most of the time, it does take a storm to reveal how deep the roots go, but that's part of the Lord's wisdom. He uses His Word today, to prepare us for the storm that will come tomorrow or even years down the road. And when those storms do come, it could be as small as a single verse, a single verse that the Lord uses to hold you in the faith. Brothers and sisters, do you want to stand firm in the midst of life's trials? Do you want to stand tall and firm and rooted in your faith? Then take up God's Word and read it today. That's how the roots of your faith grow strong. Day by day, little by little, as God takes you deeper into His Word. It's the blessing of rootedness. The third effect of God's Word is the blessing of fruitfulness. The blessing of fruitfulness. Again, look at verse 3 where you can hear this, this blessing. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And then the end of the verse 
emphasizes it again, but with even stronger language. In all that he does, he prospers. Remember the Psalms were written in ancient Israel, which is a pretty dry and sometimes harsh climate. It would not be unusual then for the Israelites to know the difficulty of maintaining fruitful trees. It's hard. But the man of Psalm 1 is planted by streams of water, which I take to be the knowledge of God. And therefore this man is fruitful. His life is flourishing, in other words. He's not withering under the scorching heat of the sun. No, this man is thriving because he delights himself in God's Word. You see, this is part of God's grace in His Word. Through the Scriptures, listen to to me on this, through the Scriptures, God produces in us what He expects of us. He does it through His Word. God produces in us what He expects of us And He does it through His Word. He brings about the fruit that He calls for us to bear. So friends, I'll just say it very clearly. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to bear more fruit in your daily life, then you must be connected to the Word of God. In fact, you should not expect to grow apart from an ongoing and deepening connection with Scripture. You should not expect to grow. Of course, God can work in His people however He would like. He is the sovereign God. But most often, He works through means. And Psalm 1 shows us that His way to fruitfulness is greater dependence on the Word of the Lord. So do you want your life to be more fruitful? Then strive after a deeper connection to God's Word. That's how He works. There is another aspect of fruitfulness that deserves attention here as well. This might sound like a silly question, but I think it helps to make the point. For whom does a tree bear fruit? Well, it's not for itself. A tree never enjoys its own fruit. No, a tree bears fruit for others. And so it is for Christians. As we take in God's Word, the Lord brings fruit in our lives so that we in turn would be a blessing to other people. And this too should drive us to the Scriptures in faith. Even when we don't feel like reading, we think of other people and we read for their sake. Even when we don't experience much fruit ourselves, we think of others and how God calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves and we read. Listen, I, I, cannot, I cannot be the husband, father, Christian, pastor that I'm called to be apart from God's Word. And you can't do any of the roles God has called you to do apart from God's Word. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And by nothing, He means literally nothing. So apart from, apart from God's grace in Christ, given to me through His Word, I cannot do any of the roles that He calls me to do. And you know what? Sometimes in the mornings, that reality is what gets me to the Bible. I can't take a time out from being a husband. I can't press pause on being a pastor. I'm always called to do those things. And so even when I don't feel like reading, the weight and the responsibility of wanting to care for other people, which we all have, that alone sometimes drives me to the Bible. And guess what happens? Faith starts to sprout up a little bit. And that cold, weak heart becomes strong. At least enough for that day. I want to be fruitful for the sake of others. Do you see it? That's what God is calling you to as well. It's not just about me and my spiritual growth. Taking up God's Word and reading it and meditating on it, it's for the good of other people. 
and for the glory of God. And so I read in faith, trusting that God would bring fruit, not solely for me, but for the good of others and for His glory. Do you want to live a fruitful life, brothers and sisters? Do you want to live a fruitful life that brings blessing to others and glory to God? Then resolve today to take in God's Word in faith, trusting that over time He will produce in you what He expects of you. God's Word gives us the blessing of fruitfulness. And that brings us to the final effect. God's Word gives us the blessing of endurance. Knowing God, rootedness, fruitfulness, and now the blessing of endurance. Notice the middle line of verse 3. Its leaf does not wither. Derek Kidner, in his insightful commentary, says that the leaf's immunity from withering is not independence of the rhythm of the seasons, but freedom from the crippling damage of drought. I think that's helpful. In His wisdom, God has ordained that life is marked by something akin to seasons. There are bright spring-like seasons where things seem to grow effortlessly. And then there are dry summer-like seasons where things are prone to wilt. But the man of Psalm 1 is blessed because God's Word equips him to endure the heat of summer and the cold of winter. He doesn't just thrive in the springtime when everything's green. He thrives year-round. His leaf does not wither. Scripture prepares us ahead of time for endurance. Listen, I know it's easy as a Christian to hope for those seasons of quick, evident growth. I'm sure most of us in this room probably have a fond memory of a time when the Lord was working in our lives in a a really extremely uh, powerful and visible way. You probably have a season like that that you can remember. Those times are the exception, not the rule, friends. They're the exception, not the rule. The normal Christian life follows the rhythm something akin to seasons. Spring followed by summer. Growth followed by heat and maybe even drought. How can a Christian endure those seasons? Only by remaining connected to the Word of God. Through His Word, God keeps our faith from withering. In fact, through His Word, God often, almost in a sense, helps us store up faith for when the famine comes. You see it? You shouldn't expect in the moment of trial to just be able to conjure up faith at a whim. That's why they're called trials, because they're hard. So where does the faith come from? From the storehouse of God's Word. It's like you can store up trusting in the Lord, and then you can call upon it when the times are lean. Remember, friends, perseverance is a a cumulative blessing. It doesn't happen at once. It happens over time. So I hope we never underestimate the value of taking in God's Word day after day. It might not seem like much today, but today's reading could very well be how God gives you grace in the future by helping you to persevere today. So, to summarize it here, what is the good life that blesses the man of Psalm 1? It's the blessing of knowing God. The blessing of rootedness, the blessing of fruitfulness, and the blessing of endurance. All of those wonderful gifts, friends, God gives to His people through His Word.
A new year starts in a couple of days. And while it's easy to pick on New Year's resolutions, there is something good about a fresh start. Right? There's something good about a fresh start. There's something good about taking time at the start of the year to examine your life and say, where do I want to grow? Where do I want to change? And my prayer is that this new year, you'll seek by faith to go deeper in God's Word. If I could change one thing about our church, this is what it would be. That we would all go deeper in God's Word. The blessings are innumerable. What we've seen today is only a fraction. So take up God's Word and read. Read it prayerfully, asking for God to give you insight. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Read it prayerfully. Read it faithfully, remembering that the long haul is more important than any individual moment. Just to give you a heads up, your Christian life will probably not change tomorrow. So read it faithfully over the long haul. And read it expectantly, trusting that God's Word is living and active, that it does not return to Him void, and that it will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Read it expectantly. Friends, there's not one right way to do this. There's not one right way to take in God's Word. I wish someone would have told me this when I was starting out in my journey of reading the Bible for myself. There's not one right way to do it. You may read it in the morning or in the evening or during your kid's nap time. You may read it printed words on the page or you may listen to it. You may read it through in a year or it may take you a few years. You may write while you read or you may just think while you read. Whatever the format, whatever the circumstance, the important ingredient is reading it. Take it up and read it. We have the time. We have the need. And now I hope we have a compelling picture, an appealing picture to carry us along in the pursuit, knowing God, being rooted, experiencing fruitfulness, walking in His ways, enduring to the end. So let's be about this, brothers and sisters. Let's join the blessed man of Psalm 1. He's calling you to join Him. Let's join the blessed man of Psalm 1 in delighting in God's Word and meditating on it day and night. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us to be people who not only hear Your Word, but do it and obey it and follow it by faith. Remind us, Father, that this is how You show grace to Your people. You work through means. And the most abundant means of grace outside of the Lord Jesus that You have given us is Your Word, the Bible. And we have it, God. We have it in our own language. We have it freely accessible to us. We can read it. We can study it. We can think about it. God, help us to be people who are marked by the Word of God. Not just for our own sake, God, but for the sake of others too. And for the glory of God that we might bear fruit that brings honor to Your name and does good to those to whom You have called us to serve. Help us, God. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.